Welcome everybody back to the Eternal Counter Podcast. My name is Roman Zimmerman. And I'm Bradley Murray. Today we're joined by our special guest, Mr. Father Ward. Father Ward? Yeah, Father Ward, tell us tell us a little about yourself. Tell us who you are, um, what you're doing in the diocese. Tell us all about it. I originally grew up in North Carolina, a little Baptist boy in North Carolina. But moved here to go to Sanford University here in Birmingham, and actually it was through God's providence and all of that, I became a Catholic and then ultimately discerned a call to the priesthood. And so I was ordained a priest in 2019 for the Diocese of Birmingham, and uh, now I serve the diocese as the vicar for sacred liturgy and the master ceremonies to our bishop. So I work in all things related to um, liturgy and the worship of Almighty God as it pertains to this diocese and an extension of um, our bishop's ministry as the chief liturgist of the Diocese of Birmingham. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. That's exciting. That's exciting. So, yeah, so I guess our first question Mm -hmm. to you is, you know, as a Catholic priest, I know we get asked a lot, like, what's the difference between, like, Catholic communion and, let's say, like Church of the Highlands, like non-denom, like how they receive communion. Mm-hmm. They see it as a symbol, but we see it as mm-hmm. the Jesus Christ. Sure. So what makes that, like why do we believe like that is Jesus Christ? Sure. Well, in the Catholic tradition, we would frame it in terms of the Eucharist being a sacrament, one of the seven sacraments that we celebrate. What do we mean by sacrament? Other traditions use that word, but in the Catholic tradition, it's very specific. It's something which does something, which becomes a reality, gives us grace. Um, the, the, the sort of colloquial way of using the term symbol would mean that it can represent something or it can call to mind something, but it's just, it stops there. The Catholic sacramental system would say, this right here, because Christ did it when he was on earth the way he wanted to do it, so that when he left this earth, he would leave us still his presence in a way, um, that's the gift of the sacraments. That's what the Catholic Church holds on to in, um, with, with all seven of her sacraments. And so the Eucharist would be the source and summit of all those sacraments. It's all to all those things where it leads. It's where Christ gives himself, not in a symbolic way, um, doesn't remind us of what he did. He does all that, but he does more. It's actually his total gift of himself completely. That's a claim that the Catholic Church would make um, unabashedly. On, uh, in a, it's a claim that um, other traditions that have broken off from the Catholic Church um, would have would take issue with, have rationalized in their theology over time whatever reservation they have with that theological um, conviction. Um, but that's something the Catholic Church ha- has always taught from the beginning, still holds to this day, and always will. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's so good. So, is the Eucharist biblical, right? So, like, you know, yeah, could you speak more into that, like, why, like, for one, like, yes, like, this is biblical, Mm -hmm. but, like, why you have the faculties to to present us the Eucharist? So, the Eucharist, of course, as is... Within the Eucharist, if it's Christ himself, there's a dimension that's the past that's already happened. There's a, pre- there's a dimension that's the present, what is happening. And it's a dimension of the future, a pledge of what's going to happen. And so sacred scripture reflects that, right? So from the beginning, we know the Old Testament. 
foretold, foreshadowed what was to come in the person of Christ. Well, if the Eucharist of Christ is Christ, then the Old Testament and all the prophecy gone before him foreshadows Jesus, who was Jesus still with us present, is the Eucharist. So you see, our Lord has always nourished us and fed us from the beginning. He's responded to our needs. He fed us in the, in the desert. We can read about the manna being given. And what did they do? They collected the manna for nourishment, for their food, for the journey along the way. And when they, when they needed to save it for later, when they need more for later, what did they do? They gathered it up and saved it for later. I think we could make a connection to how we reserve the Eucharist now in these days. So you see, the Lord has, has, has always prepared the way. He makes himself present in the scripture as he did on this ministry on earth. He walked and said, that's the very last thing. He said, this is my body before he went to culminate his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, the last thing he said to us was, this is my pledge of glory for you right now. Um, I'm going to leave this until I come again. We say this at Mass, you know, um, until we come again, until he comes again, rather. You know, he gives us um, his the pledge of his body, blood, soul, and divinity to us. So yes, um, John 6 is the famous discourse that, that a lot of Catholics will have recourse, but it's all permeated throughout the rest of the Bible too. St. Paul reflects on that all the time. He says this, the communion is not the blessing cup. The blessing cup is not the communion of our Lord Jesus Christ himself, not a recollection of that. Um, and so it, it's all throughout scripture. We see the Eucharist, of course, depicted as the marriage feast, which is celebrated in the context of a banquet. We see that at the end of Scripture in Revelation, when all things are made new, we'll gather around the table and around the altar. All of this happens at the Eucharist, which um, the celebration of the Mass is absolutely chock full of sacred Scripture. You tear apart the Mass, you'll be hard-pressed to find anything that's said in the Mass that doesn't have a biblical or scriptural allusion to it. So yes, to answer your question, absolutely, um, absolutely um, scriptural and everything related to the Mass, past, present, and future. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I guess another question, like, why the Eucharist? Why does Jesus choose to, like, yeah, it's not cannibalism. How is it not cannibalism? Sure. Why does Jesus choose to, like you said, give us his body in the right. Eucharist? Like, what? what's the point of it? What, what? What's the point of it? I think it's helpful if we think back to the Old Testament with Moses. Remember what happened to Moses, what practically, physically happened to Moses when the presence of God came upon him? Mm. What did he have to do? He had to shield his face. He had to shield his eyes, Okay. I think our takeaway from that is, even before Christ walked this earth, that the presence of God is something that's overwhelming, that our capacity can't really embrace totally yet. The Lord knows that. We're his creations, and out of love, out of perfect love and total, total, total gift for us, he said, but I'm going to make a way. I'm going to make a way. I'm going to use what is natural. I'm going to elevate that. And what to nourish you along this journey? What nourish? There's, you know, there's no more perfect way to be nourished than food. It's a, that's a natural uh -huh. reaction. Right? Yeah, yeah. So he uses the natural to elevate that to something new, supernatural to elevate us. So we can't handle it. We can't handle right now the the total face-to-face -face glory of God. It's shielded now. This is what we see all throughout Scripture. It's shielded there. 
And it's by faith that we have to recognize, you know, we, we know that the substance changed because that's what he said it would do. But it's by faith that we, because the bread looks like the bread, the wine looks like the wine. But at the level of substance, it ceases to be that. Why does he do that? Because that's what we can handle in our capacities mm-hmm. right now until we see him face to face. That's the beatific vision, you know, when we can finally handle it in his presence. So that's why I think, you know. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus loves us and he gives us his entire body, right, in the Eucharist. And he wants that intimacy with us, right? That's the mm-hmm. that's the whole point. And I get a lot of questions like when when I say that to people, a lot of people respond with, Well, do you not believe in the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. Um so I guess how would that how would the Eucharist differ from like the the intimacy like of mm-hmm. the Eucharist differ from um, the Spirit of God? Well, I would say the Eucharist comes into being precisely by the power of the Holy Spirit. So any any of our sacraments, any so remember when we use the word sacrament, what we're saying is right here, right now, by the words of the priest, because that's the way Christ set it up. If we say by the words of the priest, by the who is ordained by the power of the Spirit, which is another sacrament, so all this happens never ever unattached from the spirit. So I think that's real important to, to keep clear, but you know, because the Lord has ordained it that way, um, that is what actualize the power of the spirit is what actualizes every sacrament that we have, you know, because we're outside of time, you know, when we, when we come, when we come to the Eucharist by the power of the spirit, it's not simply that we're transported in time, but there is a dimension where what has happened in the past is made present again. Represents, if you break that down, it's to be represented over mm. again. You know, Protestants sometimes want to um, reduce Catholic theology of certainly the Mass to crucifying or sacrificing Christ over and over and over again. We've never made that claim. We've been accused. But it's the one sacrifice that we participate in that sacrifice, we remember what has happened, is happening again present as we gather around, but it's also a pledge, a pledge of future glory. All that's happening in the Mass right there, but only by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so um, I think that's always the lens through which we have to see. This is why we, we the, the, the sacramental life is not possible without baptism, right? Which is a work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, um, and so that, that would be... Uh, that would be, I think, a pretty strong case um, for for the presence of the Holy Spirit in, in all that the Catholic Church would teach about how Christ continues to be present among us today. Well, that's good. Yeah, that's so good. Could you speak a little bit into, like, what wounds that the Eucharist can heal? Because, like, speaking into, like, let's say, abandonment, how Jesus didn't want to leave us and he like, gave us the Eucharist, and how the Eucharist can like can heal us because I think a lot of times when we go into when we go into mass when we go into like receiving Eucharist we kind of just go into it just to to go into it and we don't have like an intention mm-hmm. like before like receiving it can you speak into like like why should we come in I guess like the wounds let's start with, with the wounds like maybe like what wounds could well I think it'd be helpful to think in terms you know one of the the titles that we give our Lord is the great physician mm-hmm. right so the great physician, when he walked this earth during the 33 years of his ministry, 
it wasn't hard for anybody, especially in the uh, in the visible ministry, the public ministry of Jesus, those three years. It wasn't hard for any of his disciples or followers to say, to realize their their brokenness and to, for their immediate response to be to go to Jesus. Well, if as St. Leo said, what has, you know, what used to be here on earth has now passed into heaven, has passed into the sacraments. If that remains the same, then our conviction and our enthusiasm and our zeal should not be any different. And our conviction and our confidence to run to the person of the Lord Jesus Mm -hmm. should not be any different Mm -hmm. than when he walked this earth, now that he's given us the power of the sacraments. And so whether it be woundedness or whether it be any any deficiency that we discern in ourselves because of human weakness, because of original sin, anytime we see the opportunity for the Lord's grace to shine, to permeate the situations more brightly, that is running to the great physician. That is to running to the person of Christ. Now, you know, the church absolutely would say, you know, there's nothing more intimate. There's not, you know, what is it to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus? Well, certainly there's nothing more intimate, nothing more personal than receiving himself completely, body, blood, soul, and divinity into yourself. Mm-hmm. But we have to know what we're doing. We have to be intentional about that. We have to know who the Lord Jesus is. I think, you know, of the, the those who would have seen the Lord Jesus walking the earth they would not have said, well, there's this man named Jesus. We should probably go to him at some point. They, no, they knew and had a firm conviction and con- a confidence of faith that this man, like, I could just touch the hem of his garment if that's all it takes. Mm-hmm. But this man right here has the power to do this. Well, what has changed in 2,000 years? That power is not what has changed. And so I think that's the gift that we have when we come to the Eucharist, when we come to the Mass, when we, come, when we approach the Lord um, in humility and say, in our woundedness, in our brokenness, in our despair, in our hopes, in our joys, you know, all of the human experience, you know, that's precisely why he became one of us. He came so that he could taste our experience, so we could mm-hmm. be united with us. He, you're not ever going to feel an emotion that the Lord Jesus did not feel himself. Mm-hmm. And that's precisely why he had his life on earth, so that that can be united, it can be taken into himself. So you're never going to tell him anything he doesn't know and vice versa, you know. And that's the beauty of the, the Christian claim for why he came to be one of us. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. You know, this is, it's not, I mean precisely that as i say there's nothing you're ever going to encounter now he did was he was like us in all things except sin right Mm. well that's really good news for us and so um we unite that to the lord jesus and then he gives us back himself in the eucharist we bring that all to him at the altar and what is his immediate response not a delayed response but an immediate response say okay i hear you i'm giving myself back to you i'm filling in all those gaps wow that's good that's good (laughs) it's good news for sure (laughs) yeah i really just I'm, i'm so curious just to hear how has the eucharist touched your life you know you're a priest um, awesome priest, and yeah, I just—I <laughs> was just, yeah, like, how is 
how has your life been changed in the Eucharist? Hmm. Well, there's no, you know, as, I, as I've just, everything that I just said in the last few minutes that we've been talking about applies to every person. Who, that those are the gifts that are given to all of us as creatures of God. And then as baptized people, raised into that, into, into the company, into the sharing of the life of grace. That's an incredible thing that's offered all of us. How has it affected me at a personal level is that by God's grace, he's called me to the very altar that makes that possible. And so it's very humbling, you know, to, to, to have within the capacity of these human hands because that's the way God intended to do it. Again, he uses what is natural, what is broken, and gives back to himself. You know, I think any priest has to reflect on that on either side of his ordination, you know, the great gift that is before him and then subsequently the gift that has been given to him. It's, um, I remember uh, a priest, he compared it to those Fabergé eggs, you know, that, that those, you know, you're, the priesthood is, is a fragile egg that you must sort of be in awe of every day, you know. So I would say, um, and we get sidetracked and we lose vision, but I would say that's the task of the priest to stay holy by keeping his mind always mindful of the great gift he's been tasked with, you know, um, in just being a dispenser of the Lord's grace. So certainly that has changed me. All my brother priests, I think, would attest to that same thing. Um, it's a great gift. It's a gift, as I said recently um, in a homily I was preaching on vocation, it's a gift that keeps on giving. You know, um, it's not an easy life in any shape or form, but it's a life that keeps on giving because it's, it's Christ who gives you the strength to do it. The minute that you forget that, it becomes impossible. Wow. It becomes meaningless at that point. Meaningless. It's always valid. You know, the sacraments are always valid, but, um, you know, when all the parts are there that need to be there for it to be valid. But life is meant to be life-giving in this life and in the next right now. And there's no reason that uh, what, no matter what your vocation um, can be, it's not life-giving and it's nourished always by the Eucharist. Um, and I think that's a beautiful thing. So to start your day with the Eucharist, it's all, it's all downhill from there, you know, if you start <laughs> your, you know, and some priests say their mass or celebrate their mass in the evening. And the, to me that, you would live your day in anticipation of that almost. Mm. But, um, you know, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful gift, um, to be sure. I'm encouraged, um, by, um, what I discern to be, you know, increased devotion, um, particularly among young people like yourselves, you know, it's inspiring, but I know, you know, we, we look around society and we always have, we look around and say, how do we overcome this? You know, how do we get, what is, what is the answer to all these problems? You know, we've had the answer. We always had the answer. Ooh, yeah. You know, if something needs to change, it's not God. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Whoa. That's good. Yeah. So you mentioned, you're just like talking about your hands and like how you, how you have those faculties. But for those that are like solo scriptura, like Bible alone, could you speak into a little bit like like how 
like from the Bible, maybe like how you get those faculties to do such. Yeah. Well, you've already alluded to the point that everything that the Catholic church teaches Mm -hmm. does not have to be found in the Bible. It doesn't contradict, it would never ever contradict the Bible, but it doesn't have to be exclusively found in there for whether you're a person of faith or not. It's a historical fact Mm -hmm. that the Bible came pretty deep into the existence of the church. Mm -hmm. So what were we doing before we got the Bible? If not, well, that's what we use big T tradition. You know, Jesus walked this earth and he said, you know what? Even he, had to have some help in the beginning, okay? And he looked around at his 12 friends and said, you're going to help me, and I'm going to give you, by the power of the Spirit, the power to help me on this divine mission, okay? So what we talk about are the first bishops of the church. Mm -hmm. He picked one out. He said, I'm going to need one of you to head all this up by the power of the Spirit. I'm going to put it, you know, and I've got a plan for this, a rock-solid plan, in Mm -hmm. fact, called Peter, Cephas, on you, I'm going to build this church. So from the beginning, we've had that. Okay, Scripture came later. All that's in Scripture, but it came later. Well, that's what it is. You know, they die. They're humans, you know. They're successors. They're successors through the laying on of the hands and the passing on of the Holy Spirit. We have the bishops of the church. I participate and exercise my ministry as a priest by the power and the authority given to me by my bishop. So here, Bishop Rako, the Bishop of Birmingham, says, you, Father Ward, in this area of my diocese that I have responsibility for, this is the part of the vineyard I need you to work in. Mm. You know, and by that power, that's how we, we exercise our ministry um, in, the, 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 in the sacraments and, 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 and the ministry of the Word by doing that. That is a very different system than me receiving some word from the Holy Scripture. And it doesn't mean that doesn't happen, but we always interpret what we read in Scripture through the lens of this apparatus, this church, because that's where the Holy Spirit promised. He didn't promise the Spirit to us in an individual way to discern. He probably said, on, on, you are Peter, and on Peter I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Okay, he didn't say that to everybody individually. Mm. He said that to Peter. And so if, you know, whatever ship you're on, that's fine. Just make sure Peter's on it. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> repeat that, repeat that, repeat that. <laughs> yeah, you don't, don't do anything without Peter, you know, without the Pope, without his church. And so that's what that's what we we want to always keep in mind. And so if you look around and you say, um, you know, what is what teaching can I be confident in that has been unchanging since the beginning? I can guarantee you it's going to be the one where Peter has been, where the church has been. So that's always the safest place to be, you know. That's what it is. Protestants, you know, as I said, I grew up one. They're lovely. People and firm convictions in that, but the root of that is to protest. There's been something everybody to be Christian was Catholic in the beginning. At a certain point, someone in their own conviction, apart from the lens of where Peter had been, would say, I take issue with this particular thing. And they've protested it. And from that grew something. Well, so it can be partly true, but it's like a, it's like a pizza. You know, you can cut a slice out of a pizza, a pizza. It's still a piece of pizza, but it's never going to be the whole thing. You know, it's just a slice. And so it doesn't mean what you have is completely untrue. But Jesus prayed in John 17 that we all may be one. He wants the pizza all together. Yeah, he does. 
So that's that's what we pray for um, every time we come to Mass, you know, that that in our weaknesses and our divisions, they'll one day be overcome. It'll all be put back together. That's not a far-fetched dream if it's something that, that Christ himself prayed for. Yeah. So that should give us hope. And I think it's beautiful how um, what unites us to that is what we've been talking about the whole time, the Eucharist. Sure. The Eucharist. And, the and you know, you're right. And I make a point, you know, a lot of times people say, why can't I believe that's Jesus in the Eucharist? Or why can't, I'm not Catholic, but why can't I go to Catholic? Because to receive Holy Communion in the Catholic Church is not just, it's one of the things you're saying. When you say amen. Mm, come on. When you say amen, you're not say, you're saying yes. That's the body, blood, soul, and the divinity of Christ. By faith and grace, you may be able to say that. There are other traditions that hold the real presence, but you're also saying amen. I believe, with everybody else here in this room, what the Lord has taught about the church, and and, and how I'm to, uh, to to proceed and persevere through my holiness. I. Everybody here, we all say amen as one body of Christ. Yes. It's not the way I do it here, the way I do it. That's false unity. Yeah. And so it's the other way around. It's not it's not what you do believe, it's what you don't believe that is restri restricted in you. So that's what, that's what the church holds on to. And that is why there's always hope for unity. That's why there's yeah. always hope for unity. And by the time you believe that, I mean, you're Catholic at that point. Once it was saying. It. So everything makes sense. Yes. Yeah. So let's so see, you were talking about unity. Could you speak into kind of like what's going on in this diocese now and like what the mission is ahead and like, so you're leading like a Eucharistic revival. For one, like what what's inspiring you to really just like push that? Well, of course, we are just coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, a year ago or three years where we had been sort of in an un- not an unprecedented time, but certainly in any of our our memories, um, and we took that time to to realize, hey, you know, um, we need to think critically about what it is we think about the Eucharist and whether we mean what we say and whether we are practicing what we preach, as it were. And so the bishops, on the authority that I just talked about, mm -hmm. the bishops of the United States said, "Look, we've got some data here that indicates." that we've got some work to do. Let's stir this up, you know, in a particular way. And so they've called us to a Eucharistic revival. And we're one year into it. We're in the diocesan phase now one year. We began here in our cathedral locally with a 48 hours devotion back on the Feast of Corpus Christi. We have hundreds, thousands really of people mm -hmm. that gathered and processed to the treats as a public witness. But we're inviting the Lord to... to, to to come present to us again in a renewed way for the life of the world. He gave us, by he said, my flesh is the life of the world. When there's not life, when we're dead, you know, as I say, we've got the answer. So that's at the local level. The bishop is charged at his diocese um, to, to reinvigorate that, and, and he's asked me to, to chair that and oversee that. So we've been that doing that lots of diocesan and large-scale events over the last year, which have been very successful in so far as generating enthusiasm and interest to say, okay, this is a question mm. that we all need to ask. Corpus Christi, this year we're going to move into year two, the second phase, parish phase of that, 
and it's putting it more on the over the grassroots level at the parish level so we want initiatives to come up from the grassroots level as it were but in the local community so what can we be doing around here to say to the world and to ourselves first because you can't give what you don't have so say what you have say what to the lord how can we mean what we say from this altar the source and summit that actualizes and energizes all that we say and do to be able to go out into the world. It's wonderful to adore the Lord in the church, but then if that's where your faith stops, we've missed the point. Mm. That was the last word. He said, go. Yeah. Yeah. Baptizing, yeah. you know, by the power of the Eucharist, by the power I give you, go out. That's what we're trying to re-energize. So we're doing that and, and, and we're excited about all kinds of creative initiatives that are happening across the diocese, really very, that, that permeates every dimension of the human person. Um, that because Jesus was a person. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're reinvigorating our worship. You know, if we worship well and pray well, then we, then our actions and activities can be reflected. Yeah. So we're t- being intentional about how it is that we worship the way the Lord wants to be worshipped, not the way that we think he wants to be worshipped, but he told us that. So we're having some, uh, some um, we're, one of the um, emphases rather is to reinvigorate our worship we also are emphasizing this personal encounter. Again, this is the Lord's person who's there present with us on the altar. Do we mean it? Do we believe it or not? Do we take that with him, with us into the world? Do we let him heal us up, as you were talking about, so that we go out a whole person to do what we can? You know, we teach others about the faith, so we're evaluating our faith formation program, seeing what's working, what's not, where are their holes, where are their opportunities you know, empowered by the Eucharist. And then, of course, what about those who haven't heard? If they, they can't know unless they've heard, we know that. The Lord certainly is not bound to, to, to what our abilities are, but we are. So we have the mandate to go and baptize, to teach all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We leave the altar to go out. Ita misa est, go. Go, announce the gospel of the Lord. So this is our charge. And so we're reevaluating all of that always through the lens of the Eucharist to see what it is the Lord wants to do by the power of the Holy Spirit to renew the face of the earth. Wow. He will renew the face of the earth. You know, we, we have a confidence in that. It's, you know, how are we going to be a part of that? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I guess to wrap things up, there's probably been people listening to this who were like, whoa, I never heard that before. That, that stuck out to me. Or maybe they've they felt that call to um, start participating uh, in the Eucharist and in Jesus's mission. So I guess what are some just encouraging words to those those people who are interested? And maybe they're like, yeah, what, 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 are, what do you have to say to them? Or, yeah, I, I, there's a young man, which we talk about a lot, Carlo Acutis who was a 15-year-old Italian young boy who fell in love with the, the Eucharist. Fell in, because he fell in love, he fell in love with the person of the Lord Jesus. He fell in love with the Eucharist by simply being in his presence. He says, you, we can't help but fall in love with him. He says, I don't get the quote exactly right, but being in the presence of the Eucharist will make us holy. Mm. So, to your question, anybody who hears this or is asking or knows somebody who's asking the question, 
they may not be able to articulate that it's the Eucharist that's doing this, but they have a desire to be holy, to want to be who God created them to be. And so that's my advice. You know, <clears throat> learn more, and then by the gift of grace, the, the gift of faith, you can be in the presence of not a piece of bread, but of the real presence of the Lord Jesus, and he'll do the rest. You know, and so that that would be my advice, you know, to, to learn. You know, for me, as I said, I was a convert. For me, I had the, the grace of the Eucharist very early on, and I said, you know what, if Jesus meant what he said, and even though people tried to walk away when he said, you know, but John 6, if he meant what what he said when he said, this is me, I am the bread of life, and whoever eats this will have eternal life. Mm. Like, if he then all the rest of it will fall into place. You know, I have to figure out what this means about what I think about the Pope, about all the angels and the saints and about all these people wearing fancy robes and stuff I've never seen, you know. But like all of that was a secondary question to if that's really who, if he's who he says he is and I have that and I've met this person then the rest falls into place. So that's my advice. Do what you have to do to meet that person. Wow. That's so good. That's so good. Do you mind ending us of the prayer? And then, sure. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on and sure. yeah, preaching the good news. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the great gift, the total gift, the perfect gift that is your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. The wonderful gift, the wondrous sacrament that gives to us the opportunity to exchange ourselves for and our shortcomings for the perfect love that you came to give us on the cross, but then conquered and then pledged to remain with us and nourish us in this life to come, that we might not live this life alone, but to flourish in this life by your grace and to be with you forever. We ask your power of the Spirit to be upon all of us as we continue to go out into this world to help those who have not heard to fall in love with you, to encounter you, until we all see you face to face. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. Thank you guys so much for watching the podcast. Man, God bless you guys. Please like, subscribe, comment, do all that good stuff. We're praying for you guys. We love you guys. And please, if you are able... Um, we would really appreciate if you guys could donate um, to this podcast. The link will be in the show notes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, this is not free. So if you guys are able, um, please consider donating. But like, like that being said, we love you guys. God bless. Double E all the way. Hey, Jesus. we love you guys. Come on. Let's push the phrase, Double E family. Let's do this together. Not for our glory, but for God's. Amen. Yes, sir. Cheetah.